0: Welcome to Pharma Launch Secrets, a podcast by EverMed. We host direct, actionable conversations with world leading pharma launch experts that will help you launch your next product or indication successfully. Now, here's your host, Bozidar Jovicevich. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Farmer Launch Secrets podcast. And today I'm joined by Indranil Mukherjee, who is an associate partner at ZS, where he manages a team of 30 people across India, Australia and the US, and is focused on sales and marketing consulting for US pharmaceutical and healthcare companies. So welcome and great to have you here today, Indranil. Thank you, Bozi. My pleasure. All right. Let's dive in straight into some of the questions and content. I know that you guys at ZS have a, an excellent overview of where the future is going and where the past was as well. So maybe let's start with a very high level. We had COVID, a lot of things have changed, have changed in many industries. So what do you think were some of the biggest changes for pharma companies launching a new product in the US three, four five years ago versus today?
1: Yeah, that's a, it's a very interesting question. I think I categorize changes into, into two broad buckets. Change category number one is what I call acceleration of a trend that was already existing prior to COVID. For example, we knew physician access was deteriorating. We knew that selling had become much more complex for pharmaceutical companies that they had to deal with much more integrated health systems, larger hospital networks, and it was more business to business as opposed to business to physician. These trends existed before COVID, but what COVID did is it kind of put the pedal to the metal. So access deteriorated even further. And while it has come back to some degree, it hasn't come back to what our pre-COVID levels are. So we are kind of made about a third of our way back, but we are still 66% short compared to the access that used to exist prior to COVID. The institutionalization of healthcare has only accelerated. Post COVID, hospitals and integrated health systems and big physician groups are becoming much more predominant. So much so that even private equity players are now investing in physician groups, for example, right? So they are now playing a role, and pharma is now trying to figure out how on earth am I supposed to weave into this ecosystem when I have been talking to physicians up until now, but now I need to talk to what? private equity players? Now, how do I deal with that? So that's what I call an acceleration of a trend that already existed. And a new thing that has kind of started post-COVID now, but I feel it's gonna happen more so in the future, is that the launches that pharma always knew of are a thing of our past. The concept of blockbuster products, you know, products that are going to bring me $5 billion, $10 billion in sales when I'm gonna launch one or at best two products in a year, and I as a company would be done for, is gonna become a thing of the past. So now it's more about micro launches. You're gonna have 20 launches or maybe 30 launches in the course of a calendar year, where each product is about two, $300 million at best. And they're all catering to niche patient populations, solving unmet needs in the patient population. So now what does that mean? From a launch competency standpoint, for pharma is a complete transformation from having big launch teams that used to launch one big product and have six months launch planning leading up to the launch where you now have to launch products in 2 to 3 months right and do many more of that over the course of a year i think that's going to be a big change we are going to see much more of so more micro launches coming your way and maybe the third thing that i'll add to this especially accelerated by post covid but it's going to be a thing for the next 5 to 10 years or so is the is the shrinkage of sgna as Micro launches become much more prevalent. There are industry analysis that suggest that anywhere between 20 to 30 billion dollars of SGNA is going to be shrunk from pharma pockets over the next 10 years or so. So you're looking at sales and marketing costs going down. Therefore, the, the imperatives of a chief commercial officer is to have the same kind of launch trajectory, but now spend half or less than half of what they used to right so that's going to be a um space and it's going to be a new thing for pharma to figure out how to do that better
0: yeah oh you you thought oh this is phenomenal all right so we'll definitely going go a little bit deeper on each of these topics just for clarification sgna what is sgna i want to make sure that acronyms uh, are always it's, uh, there
1: it's your selling general and administrative cost
0: all right so basically marketing and sales sales costs what goes into yes. Got okay Great. so You mentioned access to HCPs, you mentioned micro-launches and smaller products in hundreds of millions of dollars and trying to do more with less, more launches, smaller, like bigger volume, but with, with less money. So let's just go a little bit deeper into those because that will shape any kind of strategy. So access to doctors. There are people who are still waiting for things to go back to how it was. It sounds like that is not happening. Um, so uh, when you say access is lower by one third, does that include digital access as well?
1: You know, digital, so that's, that's a very interesting question. When I meant access, I actually meant access of our commercial and medical field forces to be able to um, go into doctor offices and talk to them. It's, and I said, it's, it's about back to the, they, we have recouped about 33% of the access that we had lost during COVID, but we aren't quite there yet. Digital access has increased digital impact necessarily hasn't and i and i want to distinguish between the two of course pharma realized that when you're losing out on access you have to reach out to the customer somehow and uh, digital which had always been there for a long period of time it just suddenly got a lot of philip right so a lot of emails being sent out you know companies started to play toying around with telehealth as an example and a bunch of proliferation of digital channels what it meant is traffic increased But I'm also saying as traffic increased, that does not necessarily meant impact increased. And that's because it's the old pharma mindset that I'm going to play around with reach and frequency. I'm going to reach more customers with digital and I'm going to play the frequency game, but I'm not going to necessarily distinguish myself in terms of where and how am I using those digital channels for what content am I putting in that digital channel, right? Which is where the, the difference in impact would rise. So, yes, digital access has definitely increased, but what you do with digital is more important than how often you reach customers with digital.
0: Yeah, totally, totally understand and definitely want to peel that onion (laughs) further. Yeah, so it's interesting because it's almost like Okay, let's have more digital content and send it to more doctors, and make sure that we press send multiple times. <laughs> but uh, it's a question: No, have we done that strategically? Have we done this this in a way that respects physician journey and at the same time takes them through the funnel of you know learning about the disease, learning about the product, and ultimately potentially thinking of using the products? All right, so that's great to know. And then in terms of micro launches and marketing costs, so I remember at the time. When I was at a long time ago, I'm dating myself, but there was a time when Novartis was, was the company with the largest number of launches within a given year. Long time ago. It was like 2008 or 9. And I remember at the time they, 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 was, they were saying that only two out of 10 launches are successful. And whatever the number was. And then I remember that about half of the launches are successful. I've seen some other data. And then I see that 6% of launches have this excellence kind of uh, success. Basically, half or more than half fail. Like, that's what I learned from that time. Like, the different sources. So it's really and it, and i remember it was incredibly hard to orchestrate a large number of successful launches and especially and, and then do it in well various therapeutic areas because even a big pharma company is often new in a certain specialty or certain certain area so let's say that within this environment and the lower access that you mentioned the micro launches the shrinkage of costs or, or investment so nowadays you have a new client and like help us come with a great commercial strategy. So how do you then approach that having in mind the macro factors that you just mentioned?
1: Yeah, I think it all starts with what your, it starts with two things, right? First, it starts with what type of customer problems are we trying to solve for here as we are kind of designing a launch, right? Where in in the customer journey or patient journey is the product going to fit in? That's the first consideration. And the second consideration almost in parallel is what's the portfolio strategy? Like are you launching a drug and you have a bunch of follow on drugs in the following years or are actually launching a portfolio of sorts with indication expansions and and multiple other products also tucking into the portfolio. Answer to both these questions start to determine what the future, you know, launch strategy would look like. I mean, we look at it, we have, we have what we call a nine box framework at ZS that we typically use to kind of figure out what the integrated launch strategy is. But the first box in the nine box framework is patient and HCP insights. Like who are the patients? Why do they need the product? Who are the target doctors? When and where would they use the product? and is the product solving for an unmet need in the patient journey or is it a me too? Essentially at the end of the day what your commercialization and launch strategy is is predicated on the answers to these questions so that usually is step number one which then starts to then influence Okay, so if that's what the patient and HCP Insight is, what's my overall launch strategy? What's my overall commercial model design? You know, what kind of roles do I need? What is my, you know, uh, surround sound strategy from a marketing standpoint? Where do I put my budget? What type of launch activity should I do pre-launch, six months or earlier than launch, at the time of launch and then post-launch? How should I segment my market, so on and so forth? But I think it all starts with understanding what the unmet need is, what the patient problem is, who the right customers are. And if you get that right, everything else starts to follow.
0: Wonderful. And then we won't go into all the nine boxes and I assume some of this proprietary, but I have to ask you this, of the nine boxes, where do you see right now the biggest struggle that your pharma companies have and a box that they do the best without revealing all, the, all of the boxes? Oh, I,
1: I, yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a very interesting question. I think the biggest struggle is to help pharma understand that it is not about your product. And if you, if you need just take a step back and you look at most pharma launch teams, these are product centric teams. So you have a product, you have a marketing lead of a product, you have an HCP market, you have a patient market here. Yes, you have those customer roles, but what is, what is their single point agenda? The single point agenda is I'm going to make my product a success, right? I'm going to meet the forecast of my product or exceed the forecast of my product where things are going to change for for more launches to be successful is to take this product centric mindset out and start bringing in what patient problem am I trying to solve for? And almost six, six out of 10 times, the patient problem is not getting access to your product, right? In many cases, the patient problem is getting access to a physician in time. So the diagnosis can happen appropriately. You can have the most advanced product, but that's not going to solve for the for the core patient problem here, that a misdiagnosis or a late diagnosis leads to exacerbation of the disease. Right. So the question in front of pharma in front is really, what patient problem am I trying to solve for? And in that equation, where does my product fit in? But that's not how conversations start in seven out of 10 times seven out of 10 times the conversation starts. Here is my product. Here is the target patient population for my product, my TPP. Here is the value proposition of my product. Now let's sit down with our brand, uh, you know, stakeholders and figure out the segmentation and and et cetera, et cetera, so that I can sell my product. Well, I think that mindset needs to change if you want to see more launches become successful, especially in the micro launch world, because you will not have the resources, you will not have the spend, and most importantly, physicians will not physicians and patients will not have the mind space, right? Because they're not listening about one or two products a year. They're listening to 20, 30, 40, 40 products in a constrained period of time. So I think that's the number one change.
0: Yeah, got it. No, that, that's great to hear. And then uh, what would be the box that pharma companies do the best? Like that's where they pass. <laughs> in the, like, I won't call it the test, but there, that's where they There,
1: really there, really is, a, <laughs> there uh-huh. is a box called pricing, reimbursement, and market access. And I think that's one area where pharma companies have tried to figure out how to play the game well. Yeah. And and that is predominantly driven by the fact that U.S. healthcare ecosystem is complex, right? So when you have so many players, right, you have your managed care entities on one side, you have your pharmacy benefit managers on the other side, you now have IDNs also, you know, trying to figure out how to negotiate. You have GPOs that are trying to buy these these products en masse, you have specialty pharmacies and there's contracting happening at each end of this equation, if you will, and it's a very complex ecosystem, right? And it's particularly more complex in the US compared to any other market in the world. And I think if you look across almost all pharmaceutical companies, when it gets to market access, when it gets to value, when it gets to pricing strategy, there's a lot of focus that pharma companies have put in and they're trying to get it right. now there the, the 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 field is changing though right and you know a couple of weeks back or maybe a week back now ftc is launching a, an investigation into into monopoly of pbms Right. And are PBMs truly monopolizing healthcare here? Now, who knows what's going to come out of that investigation? That might change the equation for pharma going forward because, of course, PBMs have been very important in this whole equation of figuring out what, how to get into negotiation contracts with, phar- with pharmaceutical companies and what the reimbursement landscape might look like. But I think pharma companies do that well. Of course, there are there are positive, there are there are ones that do that very well across the portfolio. There are ones that do it good at a brand level. But I think that's one, one of those
0: nine boxes that they have kind of figured it out over the years. Got it. Yeah, 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 uh, super clear. And then just, you know, listening to the amazing points you're making, I'm thinking it's not easy today, nowadays, to lead a product launch in the US with this, you know, and you may, let's say a person already had successful launch, less successful launch five years ago. And now, even though they were successful, like, okay, so how do I launch with less money, with lower forecasts, with content that we're not traditionally really good at, and orchestrating all the digital channels, and make sure that there is an ROI and end up using the right content with the right technology and connecting all the data together. Like my, just an observation, it would make me a little bit nervous to launch a product nowadays, right? Uh, oh, absolutely. Is that across the board with your clients?
1: Oh, no, absolutely. And, and just to add another challenge in this whole equation, when you were launching fewer products, you had more lead time. So that would meant that as a, as a person who's responsible for the brand, I could start doing market research a lot earlier. I could spend more money on doing market research and getting the true pulse of the market. I don't have that flexibility if you will or i don't have the time let alone the budget to be able to do as as in depth market research so now my question is how do i still make the product a success without having relied on traditional market research chart audits etc that i've always done in the past so another another
0: area of change that our our clients need to become comfortable with excellent and then we are. Now the question is then, okay, if we go a little bit deeper now, uh, we understand now the, the macro setup and all the challenges and where pharma is doing well, where pharma is more advanced, where pharma is less advanced, where there is more uncertainty, right, around the launches today. The next question then becomes really, okay, how do I go to market with a new product and what's the role of marketing, what's the role of content? So let's say that I spend time understanding what my, what patients need and what doctors need. How should I start engaging them? Now, one of the things that we often talk with from our EverMed side, and we talk a lot of pharma companies day to day, is that it's almost like the whole journey of how doctors discover new products, as well as patients, has been re-architected, if you will. So that in the past, it would start with, okay, I go to doctor and ask them a question if I'm a patient or if I'm a doctor, if I'm a, a doctor, I will interact with someone from pharma Rep. So it would be human being to human being interaction, if you will. And in many other industries that has changed a long time ago. So I usually say, well, you know, if you want to buy a TV or a car nowadays, you don't go to talk to a salesperson. You may want to talk to them later on, once you're close to making your decision, but you'll probably interact with some content, do some research, go on Google, ask some friends, things like that. So I think that it's just, Everything that we as consumers do, we are now kind of accepting more and more that that's basically what doctors do. They want to engage with the content on their own terms, and then maybe get to a point where they learn about want to engage with a human being and talk about, you know, buy and bill versus samples, or maybe they want to understand the copay or things like that. So with all that said, where do you think will be the biggest change for marketing when it comes to launching products, and what is the role really of the content, especially given? what you said in the beginning, lower access to doctors and everything else.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think you already we, we touched upon digital a little bit, right? And the fact that physicians now want to consume content digitally, but also more importantly, at their own time, you know, whenever they get their time to as opposed to when a rep can walk in through the door, I think there are two, there are two levers of marketing transformations. First of all, like I said earlier, like move away from product marketing, if you're establishing a marketing team, when you are four months away from a product launch i would have to believe that are already pretty late right so the role of marketing is not so much product awareness as much as it is about un- is driving awareness of how current treatment decision paradigms are suboptimal now you could say that hey that's the role of medical and 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 i would argue that's a re- that, that's a firewall intentionally pharma has created because of the risks associated with incentives. If you were to take a step back for a moment and not worry about incentives as much, because when there is a problem, there is a solution. I believe that commercial medical collaboration needs to significantly increase in pharma and that commercial medical team that needs to go to the customer universe and start to educate them about current treatment modalities gaps in the treatment modalities and start to educate physicians on what can theoretically change should happen much earlier. I would even argue 24, sometimes 30 months ahead, even when the asset is in phase three trial, because what you're trying to do is you're trying to make a case, of case for change. Then when you have your let's say your label out there, your, your, you have your Padufa date. That's when you come in and start to do branded promotion. The, the traditional way Pharma talks about branded promotion. So I think the role of marketing is much more upstream from a strategic standpoint, from a tactical standpoint, I think there is marketing has to rethink itself in terms of the way they create content and the way they deploy content. Right now, the process is what I would call very event driven. When a brand is about to launch a few months ahead of that, I create a whole bunch of content, which is key message categories. I want to talk about my product safety. I want to talk about my product efficacy. I want to talk about method of administration, et cetera, et cetera. And I create very standard content on that. And then it's really about carpet bombing that content to pretty much everybody in the universe, whoever is willing to listen. That is archaic. That needs to change. Now content needs to be created a much more personalized in terms of who is the customer and what is it that they truly care about? Is it about the efficacy and safety about the product or is it about how can I make sure that the patient stays on the product and it's about avenues that you have for driving patient adherence. They are two very different things. And if you all your content is about efficacy and nothing about patient adherence, you've already lost out on a certain segment of physicians. That's number one. Second is when do I get that content? So do I need to know everything now versus depending on when and where I'm treating my patients, where I am in the journey. If I start to get the content, then, then the resonance with that content goes up. So what it means for marketing is now marketing needs to be also very data driven because you cannot come up with all these permutations and combinations in terms of when and how to deploy content to each physician in a personalized manner without being very highly data driven and technology led in being able to deploy content that way but i just use words data and technology these are the two things that pharma marketeers today don't understand at all <laughs> right so the future of pharma marketing therefore is very different from the current state of pharma marketing you almost are talking about a different crop of marketers right who are digitally led who are data led who understand technology and can operate in that ecosystem. That's one crop. And the strategic marketeers are the ones who get deployed much earlier than when the product is about to be launched, who, who think and who think less about product and more about the true disease uh, or the problem that they're solving for their patients.
0: Yeah, so that, there is just a lot here. <laughs> we can go deep down all these rabbit holes. One of the first things as I'm listening to what you're saying is that it, it will the skill set has to become much broader, of this new crop of marketeers. It's not easy. I experienced it myself and and I recently spoke at the conference and I said, I started doing my ten thousand hours, which Malcolm Gladwell made famous in the book where to achieve mastery in something you need ten thousand hours, right? So I started doing that in 2011, 12 just out of curiosity. but it took a long time to understand digital channels, to understand the role of content, to understand the data analytics, know all the software solutions out there. So I think that is, It's going to be very hard especially given that a lot of folks in pharma have very strong like deep experience in like healthcare or life science and now it requires the t-shaped experience where you go deep in life science but you have like a very broad knowledge of a lot of different pieces like data content digital channel another thing that you said you know it almost made me think of there was a lot of like what i call interruption marketing in the past like you interrupt a doctor to tell them something but now it's more like you know they choose when to engage how to engage and with what content to engage Hopefully that comes out of out of data. And the one thing that you mentioned about just to comment on the on the content. Yeah, a lot of sometimes we work with pharma and we ask them what kind of videos do you have? And they say, Oh, I have these five videos. And exactly as you said, I have efficacy video, I have safety video, I have mode of action, I have dosing and administration, and I have something, you know. So we're like, Okay, do you have any videos that will be useful for doctors before they even think about your product? Well no. <laughs> so <laughs> In some cases, yes, there was something, but it's it's getting better and better. The question is, do you see that medical will play a bigger role in producing that content, in having a bigger say in content that talks about guidelines, the gaps in the guidelines, as you mentioned, as you mentioned treatment pathways, or that will be more driven on a commercial side still?
1: Yeah, so that's a very good question. I think content creation is not going to be the responsibility of either commercial or medical which, which is, which has been unfortunate reality of pharma today, right? So therefore you have commercial content and you have medical content and the medical content is used by MSLs and put into Medinfo and places like that. And the commercial content is what goes into e-details that reps use or sent through, you know, HQ emails or rep emails and whatnot. I think there has to be, there will be more collaboration in terms of content creation. I think real world evidence generation, which right now is either a separate function in and of itself or in many cases folds up into into medical and commercial rarely uses that. I think that firewall or quote unquote firewall will break very soon because not because pharma wants to do it, but more because customers are asking for it. Customers are saying that I know what you have done in your randomized clinical trial. I have seen those results. I have seen the efficacy data. Now you tell me the product has been in the market for six months or nine months, right? What are you seeing? Which patient population is benefiting? Which patient population is not benefiting? What is happening? Is there any localized element? Is there something specific about the geography that I as a physician, am operating under that I should be aware of. Right. And this is not what an RCT or even a synthetic control arm trial can can ever infer. That's where real world evidence generation comes in. And these are questions which doctors essentially aren't really cherry picking to ask an MSL or a rep. They are basically asking this question to a pharma company. And therefore, content creation has to be much more of a collaborative effort between commercial and medical. And that said, there's a third uh, role here that also needs to change, which in my mind is uh, is legal and regulatory. So the speed at which legal and regulatory have quote unquote approved content that pharma companies can take to, to their customers has been rather slow. And now what we are talking about is customers want newer content faster. I mean, to your example, right? We see new shows coming up in Netflix every other week. And here we have new content coming out of a brand once every six months. That's that's not acceptable because after a point the, the, the old content has become stale. So legal and regulatory also needs to transform their ways of working so that they can approve new content faster, bite-sized content more faster, so that both commercial and medical have something new to engage their customers with.
0: Yeah, fully agree. And it's interesting. I I sometimes think of a content as producing content and then reviewing and approving content. Those are the big buckets, right? And within those, there are many steps, of course. And sometimes, again, I, I spoke at two conferences recently. I was moderating a panel and I was on a panel and oftentimes... The question comes you know, how can pharma produce more content It's this is hard and that is hard there's like a whole list of reasons why it's hard and of and pharma has this interesting angle which is you know we are regulated and i often say well do you, don't you think that the finance is regulated don't you think that they need to have things reviewed by 20 people before they send something so it's often like there is this thing we are so we are special and our problems are special to ourselves but if pharma will, is going to do more with less And with less reps to achieve successful product launches, actually it could be an opportunity because the, probably the most expensive channel, if you will, is having sales reps, right? Because that's the highest touch that channel you can have now with more content and figuring out how to produce more content at scale and produce it faster, do it review and approval faster, and then engage human being to human being like later in the, in the, in the whole journey, it actually, that is an opportunity. But content is an opportunity to do more with less. Is that you know, along the lines of how you are seeing it? Or where, just wanted to hear your first reaction on that.
1: I completely agree with that. In fact, mm-hmm. in those situations where we have seen even digital engagement, increased impact is when there was something new to talk about. So it's the content that increased the impact of digital, not necessarily the channel.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, Excellent. so, there, yeah, so it goes back to the same yeah. point. And again, it, it's, you know, we are all consumers and doctors are consumers. That's exactly how we interact with other parts of our life. We interact with content. We want to hear the new, new things and then uh, take it from there. I think one, one you know, to be fair also to farm on one side, sometimes I'm thinking, well, this is all new. And it's in a way, every industry had to become partially a media industry and have those skills of producing more content like a media company, right? And it's not easy. It takes some time. I think it's a transition. And the moment where that kind of content at scale machine starts to produce content that's relevant and the next piece of content is actually informed by the viewing uh, analytics and insights from the previous content, that's when the machine starts to kind of get to this flywheel uh, element. I have to ask you one more thing. I have a rapid fire, quick questions towards the end, but I have to ask you this one thing. Do you see a future where Pharma launches will be done with almost no Salesforce or without a Salesforce?
1: (laughs) I have had this question asked so many
0: times.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There already has been evidence of, of some brands launching without Salesforce but none of those brands have been successful given pharma's yardstick of what success looks like. Right? So now if you were to ask me five, 10 years down the line, will there be a launch without Salesforce? And my answer to that will be, it depends it might be. There are situations, especially in rare diseases, ultra orphan diseases where Salesforce, the traditional definition of Salesforce does not apply at all right? Where the concept is, I want to have someone, a, a medical person, it's a medical led launch as opposed to a commercial sales force led launch. Then I could also see spaces like diabetes, like cardiovascular, where there is so much information already available that you could imagine launching a brand in that space without a sales force, but you cannot do it with the current capabilities that pharma has if you don't have the speed of creating new content if you don't have the ability the data and analytics competencies to be able to figure out at an N of one level what is it that physicians are looking for if you don't have the ability to to pull through success from a pricing reimbursement value standpoint from getting customer segmentation right and even getting to micro segments if you don't have all of that you have no other option but to rely on salesforce so if I were a pharma company tomorrow saying, Oh, because I've had some evidence, I'm not going to have a sales force, but I'm still going to launch the brands the way I've launched them in the past year, essentially setting yourself up for failure. Right? So there's a lot of prerequisites that need to be put in place. And I guess there are many pharma companies heading that way. I mean, AI maturity is going up, data and analytics maturity is going up. Most of that AI and analytics maturity has been, are being applied today to inline brands to, for portfolio maximization. For
0: sales maximization,
1: it's less so applied in launch situations, but I think that's the change which is waiting to happen.
0: Yeah. And, and just to add to that, sometimes um, and as we see it is in our day to day that content can be a phenomenal foundation to, to build a community because content linked or paired with engagement features such as asynchronous questions and answers. So you connect the content authors like top KOLs, and let's say a rare disease example, where you connect, we have small communities of doctors, they have key opinion leaders. So connecting those key, key opinion leaders around the world, because small number of patients, and giving them uh, opportunity to consume phenomenal content, but also be able to ask questions and tag people and do everything we're doing social media, but within the environment that is more geared towards superior learning experience, scientific exchange, peer-to-peer could open up a whole new door that exists in other industries on launching products. However, of course, that would mean that we need to you know, have processes when someone mentions adverse events, we need to make sure that we put the guardrails, that everything is done compliantly, but content plus engagement could potentially even be taken to like communities and peer-to-peer communities where conversations are happening and people are getting to know product better and the disease better and helping each other. And it's enabled by pharma. So doing something that kind of makes that easier. Great. Uh, so I have uh, for the very end, by the way, I feel like we'll have uh, another episode in the future because there's like 17 other questions I want to ask you, uh, but um, at the very end of this episode, I would like to ask you rapid fire questions and answers so that we can get to know you better. So what's your favorite industry buzzword of 2022? Digital transformation. All right. What's the best book you've read in the last 12 months?
1: Oh, that's a very interesting one.
0: How to be a Rainmaker. All right. Recommended? Commended. I think absolutely. Right?
1: Yes, yes. All right. With okay. whether you're in the
0: consulting industry or not. Got it. Excellent. What's your go-to song when you need some inspiration? You know what? I
1: actually prefer instrumentals more than, more than lyrics. Oh,
0: God. Any specific instrumentals? Is it piano or violin or, or electronic? Piano. Yeah, All right. Okay. Clear. And who in the world of pharma would you most like to take out for lunch?
1: Huh, that's a very interesting question. Maybe two. Vas Narasimhan from Novartis, Mm -hmm. right? He had a lot of expectations of where to transform Novartis. He wanted to make Novartis into an AI-led company. You know, the the jury's still out there, but few hits, many misses. So I want to learn more from him. And the second person would be Albert Bula from Pfizer, right? He, what's
0: next after, after uh, Kubernetes? Very clear. And then what one sentence advice would you give to anyone just starting out right now in pharma or pharma consulting?
1: If you're starting out in pharma, it depends on what your role is. One sentence advice would be, there is a lot of help available outside. Don't do it all alone. Right. So that's, that would be my advice to anyone starting out in pharma. Anyone starting out in pharma consulting, especially in the U.S., I would say, learn how to become friends with data, because that's where answers would lie. If you're you a generic strategy consultant working with frameworks, but you're not hands-on with data, I don't think so you will have a lot of insights that will be helpful to your clients. Very clear. And the last one, where can people find you online? People can find me on Facebook. I'm very active there, not so much on Instagram. I'm very active on LinkedIn as well.
0: Excellent. And Daniel first of all thank you so much for being guest on today's episode uh, you brought you dropped many <laughs> wisdom bombs and uh, there you are data driven we know that <laughs> so i know everything that you say you can see it also through the eye of insights and analytics you see every day. It's been a pleasure. And um, again, would love to, to go deeper on some of these topics in a separate episode. Thank you.
1: Oh, absolutely. It'll be my pleasure to go deeper. These are these are all hard questions and questions that pharma has been trying to figure out for at least five plus years now. And, I, and my suspicion is that they are five years out <laughs> further to, to, to really show commendable progress. So happy to continue talking.
0: Agreed. Thank you so
1: much. Thank you.
0: This podcast was brought to you by EverMed. EverMed offers pharma companies the fastest path to having their own Netflix-like on-demand video engagement hubs for doctors or patients. Make sure to search for Pharma Launch Secrets in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click on the follow icon so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at EverMed, thanks for listening.